They're in the air all around. We're listening us. to Gaia. That's the answer to me. That's the answer to me. Jesus in the Jesus, rainbow Mary body Magdalene. of light. Let's pull up. <clears throat> Carnation on Earth. Activating the Temple of Light, the great secret of the lost rod and ring of Jesus. Part four of seven. And this is why, from the Pista Sophia, I cite this quote every time I give a presentation. If you hear nothing else from me, I will hope that you will listen to this and refer to it often. Because I believe it's the mission statement for our incarnation on earth. In answer to a question by Mary Magdalene, Jesus says, Cease not to seek day and night, and remit not yourselves until you find the purifying mysteries which will purify you and make you into a refined light so that you will go on height and inherit the light of my kingdom. Cease not to seek day and night and remit not yourselves until you find the purifying mysteries which will purify you and make you into a refined light so that you will go on height and inherit the light of my kingdom. What happened to those teachings? Where did they go? They're in the air all around us. That's the answer to me. That's the answer to me. Jesus, Mary Magdalene, downloaded this knowledge into the thought sphere that surrounds this planet. The thought sphere. Just like there's an atmosphere, just like there's a soul sphere, there is a thought sphere. This is why two people separated by vast distances living on different continents can have the same idea. It's, they just pull it out of the thought sphere. John Lennon said, hey, I didn't write a lot of those Beatles songs. I just put my name on them. They came to me fully formed. They dropped out of the thought sphere. And that's where I'm convinced these teachings are. We just need to recognize that our divine spark can access these teachings while our conscious mind might not be able to. And we begin to put ourselves in resonance with them by looking for them, by asking for these, these downloads. This is our mission statement for life. Why am I on earth? Boom. It's not spend my day shopping at Walmart. It's not going, he didn't say go to the mall, shop till you drop, you know, burn yourself out in a career you hate, you know, it's find these mysteries. What we're talking about with these purifying mysteries is called the rainbow body. And in future lectures, you're going to hear me talk about the rainbow body more and more. I had a wonderful experience, just a brief anecdote. I was recently at a conference and a really lovely couple came up to me and they're like, yeah, we, you're right on it. You know, what you're talking about with this, the body is a wormhole, that's really cool. We're PhDs from the Harvard Divinity School, and, and we've been to India, and we've been to Tibet, and spent years there talking with the lamas there. And they talk about dissolving the body into light and then entering into a pinpoint of light. But they said what they're not adding is the piece that you're adding, that that light is a wormhole. It's like, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And that's, so now what we're trying to do is bring the, the Tibetan tradition together with modern Western science, beliefs in wormholes, because I believe that that's what they're describing. These lamas, at the time of their death, they would go sit in a chamber for 49 days, the period of incubation. After 49 days, there was nothing left in the chamber. They dissolved themselves into light and entered another realm through a wormhole. 
That's what we're understanding today is how they did it. And I think the ancient Egyptians and possibly the Atlanteans had that understanding as well. And this is why this is so important, this statement from Jesus. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be simple, thy whole body will be full of light. Thy whole body will be full of light. Become focused on your body as a light entity and refine that light. Purify it through your thoughts, through your diet, through your spiritual application, however you want to uh, exemplify that. This is how we begin to put ourselves in tune or resonance with these teachings. And so when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the River Jordan, it's important for us to recognize, first of all, that that word Jordan comes from the Babylonian word Eridanu, which means river of life and was applied to the Milky Way. So maybe he wasn't baptizing him in a polluted river in Palestine after all. Maybe John the Baptist was initiating Jesus in some star knowledge, esoteric knowledge that came from or about the Milky Way. And what we see here is this angel waiting to give Jesus his new cloak, his new garment. And that's a very important concept because that is a light body that he is receiving, a light body. When John the Baptist appeared on the scene, they asked Jesus, hey, who's John the Baptist? He said, well, I think he's Elijah. I think he's the reincarnated Elijah. Well, it's very interesting because before Elijah ascended into the heavens in a whirlwind, he turned to his priest, Elisha, and transmitted to him a garment called his mantle, which I believe is symbolic of this teaching. Elijah said, hey, buddy, you know, I'm going to dissolve myself into the whirlwind. I'm going to enter this other dimension, but hey, baby, if you want to do it, here you go. Here's the teaching right here. And Elisha hung on to it. Then it appears to me that when John the Baptist comes back around, or when Elijah comes back around as John the Baptist, he went and recovered that cloak. I call it the cloak of the Illuminati, the cloak of the Illumin ones. There is an earthly counterpart to that. As we develop this light body, it changes our mm -hmm. earthly body. According to Wally Budge, a few of the many powers possessed by these cloak-clad oracles, as they were called, include healing the sick, cloaking his companions in an incorruptible body, manipulation of matter, predicting the future. Isn't that what the Seal of Solomon did? Didn't it also produce those wonderful things? And so maybe there's a, a correlation between those two. Mary Magdalene is also connected with the mysteries of this cloak or this garment of light. So is Osiris, who's portrayed here in his pupil form. Pupil, P-U-P-A-L, like the caterpillar preparing to transform itself into a butterfly. Except in Egypt, they called that garment the crossed garment. I like to joke that here when you speak southern, people say, hey, I'm going to the Church of Christ. Little do they realize they're actually utilizing an ancient Egyptian word, crossed. And what crossed referred to originally was a garment of light put on the body of Osiris. It referred to the transfigured, re-erected mummy, otherwise called the crossed. It was the supreme symbol of the Egyptian mysteries. Here you go. Here's your crossed body, your garment of light. You're good to go, ready to launch. 
And so I return once again to the phrase, the quote by Terence McKenna, we are like caterpillars in a pupil form, contemplating pupation, transformation. No longer will I chew on the cabbage leaves. You won't catch me at Burger King anymore, honey. No longer will I spend my time moving around on the other underside of the foliage. Nope, not going to do it. Instead, my life, as Jesus said in the Sophia, must be a preparation for transition to another dimension. I'm committed to go return to the immortal realm of the Barbello to live with the light beings. And we find example after example in ancient art of this transformation. Osiris is wrapped in his crossed body, his tight-fitting holy shroud. Isis stands above him, beaming him energy, lifting his vibration. Again, this could be the star Sirius beaming this higher energy to us with Osiris representing the earth. But either way, the ship that Osiris is going to ride upon into eternity, the way the Egyptians portrayed it, is exactly the way Professor Stephen Hawking portrays a wormhole today. Stephen Hawking, a reincarnated Egyptian priest? Can't say that, but I can say for sure. He better check out some of this ancient Egyptian imagery because this has all been done before. And we're on the threshold of awakening today where we can understand what is going on here and the potential that that leaves for us. Can wormholes lead to time travel? Oh, yeah. This is how they used to portray uh, the, the stairway or ladder to heaven. This is from the, uh, from once again, from Notre Dame Cathedral. This is how I show Mary Magdalene contemplating the same mysteries today on the cover of my DVD, Stairway to Heaven. Mary Magdalene in a state of ecstasy. Our brain is the wormhole. It is our brain that can contemplate the wormhole. I just find it kind of, I guess, humorous is the word. If you take your human ears and go like this, it looks like the mouths or the gates of the wormhole. And the folds of our brain does look like a squinched up serpent or worm. And so that's where I get this notion that I think our brain is actually the place. Descartes said that the pineal gland is the seat of our soul. And it could well be that that divine spark I'm describing doesn't actually live in the heart, as you might think. It actually dwells in the pineal gland. And to the extent that we contemplate such imagery and understand it and the transformation that is encoded within such imagery, now we begin that process of activation. So again, to activate the, the temple of light for our evolving soul, we've got to liberate ourselves from the delusion that we're helpless. We've got to reconcile the opposite or polarities within. The example I cite for this is very simple. I cite it almost every time I give a presentation because like the statement of Jesus, this goes along with that. And this is the lesson of earth life. It's 12 lines brought to life in our imagination that are projected on a screen. If we accept that this three-dimensional cube is merely 12 lines brought to life on our screen, then we have to accept the possibility that this Remote control is also something different than it at first appears to be. In fact, the physics teacher would tell us that this remote control is, while it appears to be solid, is in fact not solid at all. It's merely a collection of atoms, molecules, and energy 
in motion that's brought to life in our imagination, and we agree that this thing is solid. If that's true, and I believe it's true, then this cube offers us a very important piece of understanding. Because if you look at this cube from one perspective, it looks like you're looking into it, looking at it from the bottom. But now if we shift our perspective and look at it from the top down, now it looks like another cube manifests before us. If we call the bottom way fear and the top way love, it provides for us the two ways we typically approach people and situations here in this realm and the way that they approach us. Those are really the only two emotions. It's either love or fear. Everything else is simply a, a shade or a variation of love or fear. The Hopi tell us is that as we get closer to 2012, only love can exist in our heart because more and more our thoughts and our actions are going to become instantly real. That means we can't be in the terror zone anymore. We've got to find a way to get into the love zone, the terra or compassion and enlightenment zone, so that we can be in balance and in harmony with this shift. Once we do that, our three-dimensional cube becomes the core of a fourth-dimensional hypercube. More and more, we find ourselves interacting with the other dimensions and higher capabilities within us because it is love within us that activates these higher capabilities. And that is the reward for focusing on the love zone is access to these higher dimensional realms. Our lack of or misunderstanding or, or darkness concerning these other dimensions is the fall. Eden is that frequency of love or vibration. It is the garden of galaxies. And when they talk about a fall... The fall is the fall from this original unity and access to transdimensional stargates, and wormholes, and higher capabilities within our body. The fall is from this original unity, this multiplicity. This is why all spiritual teachings describe this path as a path of healing because its goal is wholeness. H, excuse me, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. -S. But the goal is really holiness. H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S. -S. As we become whole, we become holy, and that's what enables us to open the holes in space-time and step through them. That is what our goal is. The goal is wholeness, it's holiness, and the unity of all things on a higher level. That's what we're striving for. Here's how we get things to happen in the 3D world. You have an inspiration. We think the thought about it. We put emotion into it. Then with effort, usually lots of it and lots of time, then something can happen. We've all bought into this. We were raised this way. It's part of the American uh, thought sphere, especially you know, hard work. You know, you really want something? Put your mind to it and put a lot of effort into it and a lot of time and maybe some luck. You'll get it. Okay? And that's so, if, no matter what the goal is, that's the process that we all have bought into that this is, this is the way it works in the real world. But in the 4D world, the one we're embracing and activating within ourselves, the sequence that leads to manifestation looks like this. You have the inspiration, put the thought into it, really focus on the emotion, feel 
what it would be like on every possible level to achieve that manifestation, and it'll happen. What's missing? Effort and lots of time. That's the big shift. You know, that we can actually bring things into instant manifestation. That's what we're stepping into, and that's the part of the value of stepping into this or embracing this kind of thought. That transforms us into fools. Because everybody knows you can't get shit without really working your ass out. You know, so, yeah, you're a fool to believe that. Wrong. The fool in the ancient world was not an idiot. The fool was fearless. But I don't like to call anybody fearless because I don't want to be fearless. I want to be what? Full of love. That's the opposite of fearless, isn't it? And if I'm full of love then what that means is, is that I have the power of instant manifestation. I don't have to... I'm an alchemist, in other words. I can take lead and turn it into gold with my thoughts, with my energy, with, with my emotion. And the emotion that transforms and transmutes is not fear. The emotion that transmutes and transforms is love or a hyper-love. What I'm showing you here uh, is actually the tarot card. It was Thoth the Egyptian god of divine magic and alchemy, who is credited with the creation of the Tarot deck. Thoth was the, the great initiator of ancient Egypt. We see here from the Temple of Edfu, the favorite... Oh, so it's Thoth. ...Egyptian god of divine magic and alchemy, who is credited with the creation of the Tarot deck. Hmm. Thoth was the, the great initiator of ancient Egypt. We see here from the Temple of Edfu, the pharaoh preparing to scale the ladder to heaven. And note the musical term. He's going to scale it. He's going to put himself at the same frequency or vibration as the ladder to heaven and enter that heavenly realm, which is symbolized here by Thoth levitating before this utensil or device and the ship that the figure of the Pharaoh is going to sail upon is the Barker Ark of the Millions of Years, which is the whole wormhole concept illustrated once again. So, in my view, the word tarot means royal path. And what the tarot provides for us is that royal pathway. And the royal path is from zero to hero. 22 cards in the major arcana, beginning with zero, the fool, the fearless one, the one full of love, who is seeking the gate to the higher realms. The gate here being symbolized by the almond-shaped doorway called the the Amandorla. To activate the Temple of Light, we must reconcile the opposites within and unite the rod and ring. And that's what I want to talk about. And the way I want to talk about that now is by utilizing some imagery from the Tarot, especially from the ancient Egyptian Tarot by Clive Barrett. In ancient Egypt, male and female were portrayed very distinctly. And by that I mean the females were always portrayed with Caucasian-type skin, pale yellow to white. The men were always portrayed red, red and white. This is why in, in alchemical depictions you'll see the, the red king and the white queen. This goes all the way back to ancient Egypt. And what they're describing with the red king and the white queen is the unity of male and female, the rod and ring, the reconciliation of the opposites. In the tarot, in the sun deck, we see, the sun card rather, we see 
the male and female arm in arm underneath a big beautiful ball of sun with the mound of creation behind them what we notice is that they're standing in a ring a circle of all the colors of a rainbow now Clyde Barrett doesn't say this but what I'm suggesting is that they're standing in the in the ring of what is called the ring of cosmic sovereignty they're standing in the gate of manifestation this male and female figure are our inner male and female figure and as we reconcile the opposites within ourselves within our inner male and female this is what puts us in that that state or vibration of love that enables that vibration i've been reading the tarot for gosh i don't know 8 years now or so professionally and very often when people come to me for a reading this is one of the cards that that pops up this is the 8 of swords and this is where people find themselves when they when they come to me they're on one side of this precipice and all the good stuff they want is on the other side but there's no bridge there's no rope there's no ladder there's no apparent way for them to get across here and what they're really asking me is how am i going to get across there first thing i i tell them is that these swords that we see in front of us here aren't really swords in the tarot i believe those are words because when you take the letter s off the word sword you're left with words and what i try to identify in the reading right off the bat is what are the words the vibrations that are in front of you that are keeping you locked in place very often those words are i'm lonely i'm in a terrible marriage i'm not experiencing the fulfilled career i want no matter what it is the bottom line word that it all gets condensed down to is i'm afraid and that's why they stay here as they're at this place they have really only two choices one they can go back around the other side 3 6 8 weeks months or years later whoops they're going to come right back to the same place because usually we want to avoid fear we want to avoid pain and we think if we might be able to sidetrack it and once they come back to this place they only have two more choices again they can go back around the other way which is frequently what happens 3 6 8 weeks months years whoops they're right back to this place again or they can begin to set their sights on what it is that they do want Again, here's some examples of what people don't want. They'll say, "I'm overspending. I'm stuck. I'm not fulfilling my real potential. I'm alienated. I'm alone, isolated. I'm alone. I'm not connected." This is my favorite one. I'm packing spiritual power. <laughs> And so I asked that woman, I said, "What do your closets look like at home?" <laughs> She said, "Well, they're stuffed." I said, "Yeah, you're packing spiritual power, all right. You're packing it away in your closet." you know what she meant is i'm a real powerful person spiritually but i'm packing it <laughs> i'm stuffing it away yeah and again the bottom line is i'm afraid and what what we're trying to do in this path which the tarot helps us with is to get unstuck and to not be afraid anymore but we don't want to be afraid anymore we want to be in love but it's a narrow bridge that leads to this this path here and that's kind of the hitch and that's why there's fear yeah we can take a few steps but like the guy in the center <laughs> it's a real balancing act 
you know, and you probably all experienced it. Yeah, hey, I'm gonna, I'm taking off on these ascension teachings, and your family might have said, "What are you crazy?" You know, we just stick with the church as an example. You know, what's wrong with the with the church? Here's the holdup for many of us: we all have an inner male and female side. It sounds like a dumb question when I ask it to people. Do you recognize you have a male and a female side? Yeah, I might as well just ask, hey, do you know the moon's made of green cheese? You know, because they either think it's a really stupid question or it's completely irrelevant. <laughs> when in fact, that's the starting place because we all have this polarity within us, this opposites. They're often at war with one another. And consequently, if, they're, if our inner male and female look like this, guess what your relationships are going to look like out here in the real world? The exact same way. And so we all have this inner male and female. And one thing that I've observed in reading the Tarot is that in a traditional relationship, the male feels like its primary responsibility towards the female is to protect her, to provide for her. But behind that is a really important one, and that is she just wants him to pay attention to her. Now, turn off the football game. Don't work so late. Pay attention to me not your computer. That's what she really wants. But the male's like, well, I don't work all these long hours. How do you think I'm going to pay for taking you out to dinner? Or whatever the excuse is. And so the male and the female, she's in tears on the, on the bench here. He's staring out the window going, women, geez, man, whoa. You know, what are we going to do here? And so we've got to find a way to reconcile these opposites within. Problem is, here's the male side's natural domain. This is where the male side focus his, focuses his, his energy and emotion for the most part. Looking up at these swords are actually words above him which represent what he doesn't want. Oh, I don't want to go broke. I don't want to you know, work in this job. I, everything that we don't want, and it's usually worry, fear, stress, anxiety, doubt, but the really big one is disbelief related. The male side just simply usually does not believe that it can make a change in its life. It does not want to step out and try to make a change because that means stepping into the unknown. And that brings about fear, and what that brings about is paralysis. Sitting on the couch at home, probably a corona beside them, focusing on worry, fear, stress, anxiety, and doubt. While all along, right beside them, is the ankh, or key of life, the symbol of our escape or release from this condition. So what I'll do in the course of a reading is I'll be listening at first and going along and we get a whole list of, hey, this is what I don't want. I don't want to be, I'm, I'm stuck, I'm alone, I'm isolated, I'm broke, whatever it is. And then I'll ask another really dumb question, even dumber than do you recognize you have a male and a female side? And that question is, well, we just went through what you don't want. What do you want? What do you mean, what do I want? It's like nobody ever asks you, what do you want? And very often, there's silence. I don't know what I do want. Well, very often, what you do want, guess what? Is the opposite of what you don't want. So, I'll just suggest, what's the opposite of feeling isolated? Connected. 
What's the opposite of being shut down? Activated. What's the opposite of being unfulfilled? Fulfilled. And so we'll start to generate this list, and I'll put them in a circle like this with a dot in the center. And I'll say, okay, this is what we do want. The problem is, is that this is what we do want, but we're still vibing at the frequency of what we don't want. That male side keeps putting out that thunderstorm energy saying, hey, yeah, try coming near me. You know, I'll knock your socks off. Yeah, tell me you're going to do something for me. Yeah, right. Okay. And so what I'll ask people to consider, which is what I'm asking you, is that while this looks like a circle, another way of describing a circle is a circle is a ring, right? Like a, a ring. But another way of describing a ring is a ring is a vibration. Like when the phone rings, it, it vibrates. That's how we know it's ringing. So what I'll say is what we've got to do is put ourselves in the vibration, the frequency of what it is that we do want. And the way we do that is very simply, back to metaphysical square one, affirmations. Taking those two power words, I am, and taking it off of I'm isolated, I'm unconnected, and putting it in front of what we do want. I'm activated. And what we've got to do is make sure that our energy and emotion is going only on what is inside that circle. If it's not inside that circle or ring, we don't want anything to do with it. We, we no longer want to sacrifice our energy and emotion for that. And what that does is it starts to open that gateway for us. I use my cat Boo as, a, as an example of this. Boo and I like to play with the, the light pen. You know, you put it on the ground and the cats go crazy. And Boo loves to chase the light. The other cats don't want anything to do with it. Boo also likes catnip, so there might be a connection. <laughs> but when Boo is focused on that red beam of light on that carpet there, that's the perfect moment. As far as Boo's concerned, there's no past, there's no future, there's no questions. He's going to get that light. I know he's not. Okay? But hey, there's probably a deity out there going, now I know William Henry thinks he's going to get that wormhole open. But I know he's just like Boo, but that's okay because it's really all about the journey, right? The journey's the reward. Actually, the perfect moment, no past, no future, no questions, I borrowed that from Joe Montana. You all know who Joe Montana is? He's the Hall of Fame quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And I heard him interviewed one time, and a guy asked him, Joe, you're like unbelievable when you're on the field. I mean, people said you're almost like supernatural. How did you do it? Could you slow time down? How were you able to, to do what, perform those feats of magic on the field? And Joe said, hey, when I was standing there with my guys, we're talking, looking at the goal line, I had it in my head, there was no past, no future, no question that I was gonna score that touchdown. And the thing is, my body knew how to do it. I had that emotion in me. I just had to get out of the way of my body and let the body do what it knew how to do. Well, I told this story to Greg Braden once in a Dreamland interview, and he's like, wow, Joe Montana's a quantum physicist? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's exactly what Joe Montana's describing, is putting ourselves in this emotional state. There's no past, there's no future, there's no question that I'm going to get that light, and I've just got to 
get my body to do what I know it can do. The fact of the matter is, Boo catches it almost every time we play. He just doesn't tell me, but I, I watch him do that. So the, the bottom line here is we've got to focus on what we do want, not what you don't want. I've been saying this for, I don't know, Sarah Beth and I have been reading together for eight years. And that's the only thing I can tell you. Focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. Well, recently there's a DVD that's come out called The Secret. And I, I'm watching this, and it's a high-production DVD. What's the message of the DVD? I mean, they've got Michael Beckwith. They've got all these other scientists. Focus on what you do want not what you don't want. And that's it. That is the secret. That is the secret ring of Solomon, too. It's focusing on what we do want. Well, what do we want? Well, in the secret, oh, we want a new car. Oh, come on. You know, that's so mundane. It's so first three chakras. I couldn't believe they even went there with it. You know? Because... What we do want is to be in the right place at the right time with the right people, the right intentions, and the right actions. And if you think about it, if we're in the right place at the right time with the right people, right intention, and right actions, what's our life like? Hey, pretty dang good, isn't it? We want to focus on the field, know that we influence all of this. This is a mirror out here, but this really is what we do want. Right personal choice, right individual commitment, right personal responsibility, right personal judgment. These are the keynotes or rungs of the ladder that the initiates of Mithras used to teach 2,000 years ago. These enable the initiate to scale the ladder. So this is how we begin to put ourselves in attunement with these higher mysteries. It's about thinking the right thoughts, being committed to ourselves and to individuals and being personally responsible for ourselves. It sounds like, a like I'm being a moral person here, and it really is. But I'm saying this is why these teachings have lasted for several thousand years. They asked Buddha, hey, how do you overcome suffering? Buddha gave them the eightfold path. Right thought, right intention, right action, so on and so forth. It's repeated over and over again. Because what it does is it puts us in that higher, finer vibration. And what that does is it unites male and female. On the left is an Egyptian hieroglyph. The Tet power pillar is male. The key of life is female. And when you put the male and female together, they're united on the ring with the dot in the center, which is the Egyptian hieroglyph for enlightenment. Which is why I use it in my readings, because it symbolizes the light for us what we do want. When we focus on what we do want, we emit a field around our bodies that they're united on the ring with the dot in the center, which is the Egyptian hieroglyph for enlightenment, which is why I use it in my readings, because it, what that does is it unites male and female. On the left is an Egyptian hieroglyph. The Tet power pillar is male. The key of life is female. And when you put the male and female together, they're united on the ring with the dot in the center, which is the Egyptian hieroglyph for enlightenment, which is why I use it in my readings, because it symbolizes the light for us, what we do want. When we focus on what we do want, we emit a field around our bodies 
that begins to set up that force of attraction that puts us always in the right place, the right time, with the right people, and the right action. And this is where all this business about effort and time begins to evaporate. Because what I'm feeling is that when we see them standing in this rainbow ring, I think that's the open mouth or the gate of a wormhole. And what, they're, what we're trying to do in terms of transforming ourselves is literally step through those gates, access the field. And so at the top, it looks like an Indiana Jones moment. Remember in Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? Indy comes to this place right here where he's on one side of the precipice. The Holy Grail is hidden in the cave on the other side. And Indy realizes he can't use his whip. He can't use his gun. He can't beat somebody up or steal something. All the usual ways he used to get what he wanted in those movies. Steven Spielberg was brilliant in portraying this moment of transformation of, or ascension for Indiana Jones. Because Indy realized the only way for him to get across that precipice in that movie was to take a single step of faith. He had to focus on what he did want. He didn't want his father to die, played by Sean Connery, had been shot by the Nazis. And Indiana knew if he got the Holy Grail, he could save his father's life. So he didn't want his father to die. He had to focus on what he did want, get the Grail, save his father's life. He was literally in a life and death situation. Now, when you and I find ourselves alone, isolated, stuck, or whatever it is, we're not technically in a life and death situation like Indiana Jones was, but really we are. Because if we stay stuck, alone, and isolated, it's going to be a form of a death for us. So we've got to become like Indiana Jones, focus on what we do want, unite our heart with our head, then take the first step. And I'm convinced that when Indiana took that step and there was this solid but invisible bridge linking the two sides, as portrayed in the movie, that's just as good as opening a wormhole. He opened a gateway and stepped through it across to the other side and saved his father's life saved his father's life. At that point, Indiana Jones was no longer a rogue archaeologist. He was a master. He was a master. He had mastered the law as above, so below. And this is the secret of raising ourselves from the dead. We're all dead on this realm. This is the realm of the dead. In case no one's mentioned that to you before, thought you might like to know. This is the realm of the dead. We're entering the realm of the living of greater life by absorbing these teachers. And this is the primary secret of raising ourselves. As long as we remain unplugged into that which we do want, that which is above, we master that which is below. How do we overcome fear and death? By focusing on what we do want, that which is above. And the tower is a representation that we all can begin to utilize by which we can ascend up in graduated stages of consciousness to the divine and work in harmony with divine consciousness to bring down the glory of the divine radiance into our bodies so that it's irradiated from above, so becoming a citadel of light in this lower realm. Where we're all at is in the middle point there. We are at the very apex or close to it of human evolution which means what our role, our business is about is transforming ourselves into conduits to bring a higher vibrational energy into this realm so that then we can begin to take it out of the realm of fear and terror and make this place a realm of love. Pretty groovy.
Takes me in 12 seconds. That was uh, Jesus and the Purifying Mystery. No. Um, Jesus and the Purifying Mysteries. Activating the symbol of this part three. Next episode of Speaking of Jesus in Nashville. Here we go. Speaking of light and brightness and shining, let's look at MR. MR, the device attached to Marduk, the god of Babylon, the shining one of Babylon, whose name Marduk later became Mars, the enlightened one. Look at the comparison here between Marduk before his pillar of MR, brightness and shining, and the way Isis is portrayed next to the Osiris device. Are they portraying the same technology? I think that they are. Marduk was the chief god of Babylon, and scholars tell us his tool is called a spade. That doesn't look anything like a spade to me. You know, I think they, what happens is in the 1800s, they look at these depictions and say, oh, that must be a spade. And what happens for the next 100 years is that every scholar who goes to the University of Pennsylvania or University of Chicago repeats the same lie over and over again until it becomes gospel. And anybody that challenges that is a heretic. Well, I'm a heretic. And I'm saying that's not a spade. That's a device that brought about brightness and shining, awakening. Not a spade. It was called the mayor or the MR, mister. It's funny. When I moved to Nashville in 1982, two things really changed my life. One, I read Holy Blood, Holy Grail when I was in a sophomore in college, and two, I learned to speak Southern. And learning to speak Southern became an incredible tool for me. It happened, my family, we, we used to have horses, and we had a ranch manager, and he sat me down one day, and he says, you're a Yankee, read this. And I said, okay, Mr. Dukes, Mr. Not Dukes, Osar, C.M. Wangs, Lib, Mr. Dukes. He said, no, you gotta speak Southern. M.R. Ducks. MR not ducks, OSAR, CM Wangs, Albie, MR ducks. And so from that point forward, I started speaking Southern. And so when I'm with a word, I'll slow that word down. And what it did is it gave me an opportunity to start to say, well, where did this word come from? CM Wangs, Albie, MR ducks. So Marduk was implanted in my consciousness back in, in 82 with this idea of speaking Southern. The temple dedicated to Marduk was called the Isagila, where the mare or mar, this device of brightness and shining was located, it was called the Lofty House. It was known as the mooring post of heaven and earth, a place of ascension. So tell me that's a spade, okay? <laughs> This device has something to do with essentially with connecting heaven and earth. It's a mooring post. In fact, when you flip back over to Egypt, you find the root mare. Both of them going. The hieroglyph for mare or MR is pure. Egyptologist Mark Rainer has stated that the ancient confession term and
this the ancient name Now what Egypt. we're going to do in this part of the presentation is we're going to talk about Nashville. He calls uh, MR. Some of the material from my book, City of Peace, Later, as well this as, on his translation as other MR, materials. As I said earlier, I like to consult God in the form of God Google when I'm working with ideas or concepts just to see what is the collective mind in a place Are you going to let the greedy heating companies and their crazy high prices decide if your family is allowed to stay warm this winter? Here's how a The Grand Poobah of the Giza Plateau. Can't turn it the off. Secretary General of the Antiquities Organization of Egypt himself explains that the Giza Plateau, the Great Pyramid, was known by the Egyptians as the House of Osiris, Lord of the Underground Tunnels. What that tells me is that Osiris is not a person. Osiris is a device. This bond between... Zahi Owas was actually here in Nashville in June of 2006 and said that by the end of 2006, he's going to open a secret chamber in the Great Pyramid, the lost tomb of Khufu, as he describes it. A little bit of insight. Zahi Owas believes he is Khufu. I just learned this. Everybody who knew him when he was studying at the ARE in the University of Pennsylvania knows that he believes he's Khufu. Oh, my God. So Osama believes he's the Mahdi. And, you know, we, we need a scorecard of who these people are on the news and who they think they are. It would be very helpful because then we would really realize their intentions. The symbol of Marduk, this brightness and shining device, was set upon a composite creature called the Mushrushu, a hybrid being. It looks like a dragon or a bull. Uh, and I think it's the stand for this device. I think it's the stand that you put this device that connects heaven and earth upon. And over and over again, we see a similar scene of people worshiping or utilizing this device, similar to the way ISIS is portrayed operating the Osiris device. I think it's all the same technology. I think they're describing the exact same device over and over again. Back at Abydos, we see ISIS tending the device, but now we see there's an actual human face in this antenna device, and it's called the head of Osiris. And as we get in and more closely, we see that they appear to be uh, bringing some sort of a substance out of it, which is what this figure holds in his hand. They're operating it like an antenna. And we see now more clearly the face that is emboldened on this boss relief, which it's, it's extraordinary to stand in front of this at Abydos because you just get a sense of energy coming from it, like the, the device is actually still operating to this day. The, the actual name, according to Gerald Massey, of that head is Hathor, I can't stop this thing. Which, who is also called Mufkit, or what is it? The golden head or golden calf of Hathor. I believe that that head the dead head of God is what Mary Magdalene holds. The candle that she has in her hand in religious symbolism is the symbol of spiritual illumination, of the light, of the seed of the light of salvation. And in Christian symbolism, it's the divine light shining into the world as Christ is the light of the world. Christ is not a person. Christ is an energy, a frequency, or a vibration. Jesus is a man. Christ is a person. If you've never made that distinction, it's very important that you do that. These, this symbolism, symbolism suggests Jesus' words, I am the light of the world. 
what we're talking about is this ancient shining device that I think is represented as this lit candle. No one lights a candle unless you put it on a stand. You don't hide it. You bring it out. And unfortunately, this candle light has been hidden, this light of illumination. In fact, Mary Magdalene was called the illuminator, the illumined one, in France in the uh, 14th century. And what I've suggested in my book, The Illuminator and other presentations, is that the head, Mary Magdalene's head, the dead head of God, is not the decapitated cranium of John the Baptist, as many Grail researchers ask you to believe. That head that she holds and that candlestick beside her is, in fact, this technology which was operated by Isis. Mary Magdalene was a priestess of the school of Isis. This is why you see these paintings that are so illustrative of one another. Isis standing beside the Osiris device. Mary Magdalene standing beside the pillar or cross of crucifixion with the skull at the base of the depiction. These are interchangeable terms, interchangeable depictions. What is omitted in Christian understanding is the whole backstory of where this came from. They put a guy on a dead, they put a dead guy on a dead piece of wood and say, worship it. Before that, they had 